Hey everybody, welcome to the Suited for Good podcast. Today I have a an awesome guest, uh, Robbie Murick. And as you'll uh, as you'll notice in this interview, he's man, he's he's got a, a an amazing story to tell as well. And I I uh, I was I was uh, definitely affected by the love he has for his mom and his mom to him and uh, all that he's been through. I loved the uh, the takeaways he gave me at the end there. Of uh, he said that uh, ownership of our our lives is 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 uh, one of the most important things he he's come away with that we have to own our own decisions. And he also said uh, taking uh, creating meaningful relationships with people you can trust. And then I also loved his third takeaway was it was uh, creating a a, a roadmap for success he you know he said if if it's not written it's just a dream and yeah if you're trying to make big changes in your life to actually set a goal write it down and write down how you view the path of getting there and then sticking to that um but there were so many good good things about this interview and he's an incredible human being and doing some amazing things now with the other side village helping uh, people who are experiencing chronic homelessness uh, so just amazing things that, uh, yeah, I'm excited for you to hear this interview. So yeah, without further ado, here you go. Robbie Murick. Robbie, welcome to our student for good podcast. Thanks for joining us today, man. Yeah. Thanks for having me here. Yeah. Um, okay. So I just kind of like to start out like, where were you born? You know, something simple like that. When, where, and when, you know, where, where'd you start out? I was born in El Paso, Texas. Okay. And, uh, father was in the military. My mom was kind of in and out of the military at that point in time. Okay. And so born in El Paso, Texas uh, on an army base. Really? Yeah. White Sands was the army base my family was living in. And then they drove to El Paso for some reason. I don't know. Interesting. Okay. So um, siblings? Uh, Yes. I have one sister on my mother's side that I had never met. And uh, she had been adopted out before I was, before I ever met her. When okay. When I was kind of going through her hard phases. Okay. And I have one brother and one sister on my father's side from a previous marriage. Okay. Great. Um, so what was growing up like at, uh, with your mom and dad? So were you, so I take it with, when they had other previous families, mm-hmm. did you see your siblings? I mean, obviously your sister, No. But the other two? I pretty much grew up as an only child. Okay. uh, My parents split up when I was young. So before I remember, or before I have much memories of my father, my parents split up. Okay. And they were in Alaska at the time. When my mom got pregnant with me, my father retired from the military, moved to a little town called Hope, Alaska to gold mine. Okay. They were doing that for a little while, and they ended up splitting up. I think I was like one. And so you were really young. Yeah. And so okay. the whole time I grew up, I was just single mother family. Uh, okay. And started having phone calls with my dad when I got to be about seven or something like that, old enough to start asking questions. But until seven years old, it was just you and mom. Yep. Me and my mom. Uh, her working two and three jobs. Always kind of struggling oh, wow. to pay the rent. Uh, she was always trying to be in and out of church, trying to put me around healthy environments, but also struggling financially at home. So that came with, Man. you know, in and out of shelters and things like that. In hindsight, looking back some places, it probably weren't the best for a child. Sure. But I remember being really happy. I remember, you know, having a lot of things that I look back on and probably are not the best. But as a kid, you know, having the things I wanted for Christmas, my mom taking care of me. She was really loving and compassionate. 
she also has her own things going on with some of her mental things. And so when it would come time for consequences or things like that to happen, those always came in like a pretty intense form. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I can't imagine the stress. Yeah. Working two or three jobs, trying to raise a kid. Oh, yeah. I mean, I can't. I, I, we have kids, and but, you know, we're a partnership in that. And I can't imagine a single mother trying to make ends meet and, and raise a kid. Yeah, she she definitely, like, looking back as an adult now, has earned so much of my respect. I remember being at my mom's office jobs, like, while she's working, you know, playing around as a little kid hmm. and things like that, and being able to grow up and still give that feeling to a kid of, like, hmm. what you want for Christmas you get and stuff, and wow. being in and out of shelters and things like that. But as a kid, you're yeah. you're happy. It's totally oblivious. Wow. She worked. And she had a harder life coming, growing up than I did. You know, her family life was more chaotic. So, what was her family like, like life like that you uh, know of? So, my grandpa was a a biker from a long time ago, a drummer in a band, and he always kind of ran around. Uh, you know, the biker life, uh, drugs and alcohol, a lot of violence, things like that. Uh, my grandmother was a super compassionate person and super super uh, just organic and authentic. But she was a bartender for 27 years. There was always a lot of drugs and alcohol, a lot of domestic violence and things in her life growing up. Hmm. So she, you know, she learned all the behaviors that come with an environment like that. Yeah. So your, your mom was raised in that environment, yeah. and yet she's busting her butt two and three jobs, giving you a childhood that feels yeah. happy. Yeah, I think she learned a lot of stuff, didn't want to repeat that. There was obviously some elements of that that came in just because of our yeah. living situation. Sure. She tried really hard to not be a part of stuff like that. Wow. Yeah. Man, so much respect for your mom. Yeah. What a hard, what a hard situation. Yeah. So seven years old, you start talking to your dad. Yep. What was that like? Um, I got old enough to start like seeing pictures of my father and asking questions about him. And I remember, you know, that I there was. I have vague memories of it, but just asking, you know, how come I don't talk to my dad? And I want to talk to my dad. Uh, yeah. He's always, uh, you know, worked. He's a hardworking man. He was uh, an airborne ranger instructor in the military. So he trained people how to do that. Hmm. And so my mom, super compassionate and been through some hard things in life. My dad, like hardworking to the core. You know, he always would drink beer and things like that, but never was seen as somebody who lost control in my eyes. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I got old enough to want to start seeing him and reaching out and talking to him and stuff. So I started having phone calls with him. And when I turned eight, my mom let me come down here to Utah. That's where he was living at the time? Yep. So your mom was still in Alaska? You were yep. you were in Alaska. Okay. Yep. Mom in Alaska. Uh, dad moved down here. He was born and raised in Utah. And so when I came down here to visit him the first time, yeah, summer breaks for school. And so I came down here to meet my dad. And uh, as an eight-year-old kid, it was like a dream. You know, mm. I got to spend time with my dad. And he had a house at that time. My sister lived with my dad still. She was well into her own like life patterns at that point. She was already using drugs and running around with a bad crowd and making choices like that. And she was gosh maybe 15 she was still young she was 15 you were eight yep. and you started going the summers yep and okay. coming to see her and spend time and then i went back to alaska after the vacation and i was on top of the world and stuff and my mom had married somebody while i was gone 
in the three months that I had went to meet my father and went on vacation, I came back and my mom had met some guy and married him. And so there was a, like, obviously. That's a huge shift. Yeah, it was, you know, looking back, you should probably be a little bit more patient with that. Wow. I think she was so desperate for connection, companionship, and things like that. that Yeah. She could see all the good in it. Yeah. As a kid, it was, yeah. Oh, I can't imagine how hard that was. Yeah. Coming home to, wait, what? I've got I've got another yeah. man in the house, for crying out loud. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, she married him. We moved in with him immediately. Mm-hmm. He was uh, doing well financially and things like that, and they were in that honeymoon phase. Yeah. I was very resistant as a kid, and then after a little while of spending some time around him, I was like, oh, man, this is actually really great. Hmm. I started to really appreciate it and value it, and, yeah, it turned into an awesome experience hmm. as time went on the my mother and him they had always like had issues with marijuana and uh, the occasional drinking and things like that mm-hmm. uh, my aunt from my mom's side of the family was having some hard times in a rural town in Alaska and they ended up moving into that man he owned a thrift store and lived on top of the thrift store mm-hmm. and so my aunt ended up moving in with all of us right about that same time I think I was eight Hmm. or seven or eight something like that and she brought my two cousins and my aunt and all all into the same space yeah so in that one little period of time it was me and my mom meet my dad stepfather aunt moves in brings her kids wow and the stepfather had two kids of his own too wow so it's a full house all of a sudden yeah huh so what happened next um that is when my cousins moved in with me and I thought it was great because I never I had been doing the uh, single kid thing for so long sure Um, some of my cousins who ended up they had already been experimenting with you know drugs and and Mm. smoking weed and drinking alcohol and things like that and so when I'm eight my cousin I think is a year or two older when we came down there he starts like exposing me to some of that stuff at eight yeah oh my gosh I think uh yeah, I think I drank my first beer and smoked weed for the first time at eight years old. Wow. And uh, it's kind of a common story in, like, rural country towns. You know, it's like you're closed off from outside of the world, or if there is something in the family that's exposing that, there's not much, many safeguards to it. Wow. You see your parents do that, so you're already familiar with it. So it just feels like a natural rite of passage. Yeah, you had no idea. You're, you're hmm. witnessing things like that you know your parents are doing things like that. Yeah. And then you start to get old enough to, like, experiment and see things around the house. Wow. Wow. So cousins move in, expose you to some things, and then you you start using often? I Um, mean, what what happens next? Yeah. My mom and her stephusband, their relationship is taking on, like, a a verbally abusive situation. Hmm. Like the honeymoon's over. Yeah. Honeymoon's over. Uh, they're having some serious things set in, uh, fighting all day, every day. Hmm. And my mom, to hear her tell it, uh, didn't want me to be exposed to that. So I would go hang out with my friends and go leave and spend time with me and my cousins. would go to a couple buddies' uh, houses all the time. Yeah. Small town Alaska, not many kids. So you're ending up hanging out with people that are hmm. in sixth grade when you're eight and nine. These kids are 12 and 13 and things yeah. like that. And they were doing similar things. Uh, as hmm. I look back, um, yeah, my mom was trying to protect me some things, but it ended up 
putting you in a difficult situation with older kids that yeah. were. And so it, it it's a thing every once in a while we're, you know, stealing beers or, you know, doing things like that. And it became more and more of a pattern. Hmm. Okay. So you're not even a teenager yet. No. So what, what happens next? You, you go to junior high, high school, like what, what's, um, what's next in life? So my mom and that relationship, they're, uh, getting on the rocks. So mm-hmm. my grandma lived in Anchorage, Alaska. Mm-hmm. And so I moved from my, that home or that, I get the house I was living in is, is called Wasilla, Alaska. Okay. I moved in with my grandmother and my grandmother was always like, wanted to be liked, the carefree, you know, so I'm going from the school there back to Anchorage in school. And I think by the time I'm eight years old, I've already moved 20 times, hmm. you know, moving all around. Yeah. So moving with my grandma. I was really enjoying it. Uh, but I did the same thing when I got there to be with my grandma. You know, I wanted to fit in and the cool kids in school are the ones getting in trouble. And, hmm. and I like very quickly realized if I want to be accepted, there's a very easy way to do that. All I have to do is just do these things that they're doing. And so I started doing all that stuff. I think my grandma was aware of those things. And she was, I was lying to my mom about doing it because I knew she wouldn't be okay with it. My grandma was like the cool grandma who wouldn't tell her mm. things like that. Looking back, she bought me my first bottle at 10 years old. Wow. And for me and my cousin, we would spend time there. And she knew we were doing things like that, like would catch us smoking. And the response would be, okay, I'll just give you cigarettes from now on. You know, would catch us to huh. alcohol. And the response was like, if I, if I. If you're going to do it, do it in front of me yeah. type of a thing. Yep, and uh, hmm. spent time with my grandma over the next year or two. My mom kept trying to work things out. I'd move back in with that guy. It wouldn't work, and I'd move back with my grandma. And we hmm. did that a few different times um, until I think my mom and that man got a divorce, and my mom moved in with myself and my grandma. I think I'm 11, 12, and my mom starts to become aware of, like, what's happening. I can't really hide it anymore. Sure. It's so deeply entrenched. Sure. That's such a young age too. Yeah. And, uh, it was all, everybody in our family that was always kind of the thing was those habits were already there. When people got old enough to start asking questions, uh, you know, you don't really have to keep it a secret anymore because they're already doing it on their own. And it just became like, you can be part of doing what we all do anyway. Interesting. Yeah. Now living the life, like if I look back on it, there's a part of me that's like mad about it, but a part of hmm. me also like feels really bad because they've never experienced anything. Like sure. That. You don't see how it ripples away into other things. Hmm. Ah, wow. It's like it, it was the lifestyle that they that they knew, mm-hmm. right? And so, even though you started young, it's like yeah. okay, well, well, yeah, he he knows that that's how it is, and so let's just now let's just live life. This is how we live life. Yeah. So then, did they, did your mom? Like, just, okay, let's, you know, was it kind of, did she kind of graduate to your grandma's way of thinking? Like, well, then I'll buy it for you she type thing. She trying to, like, catch me lying yeah. about things, try to place consequences. Yeah. I wouldn't really do it, and I think there was a lot of codependency. Sure. Just my mom and just me. Yeah. And when I was rebellious as a kid, um, it didn't turn into a hard boundary. It turned into, like, I'm going to push him away if mm. I want to keep this relationship and you know, this is what's going to happen. I might as well safeguard it. Hmm. And so that's how it operated for at my grandma's for the next. And and there was times we would move in and out of my grandma's to try and have my mom get on her feet. Something chaotic would happen. 
and we'd end up moving back there. Yeah. And, uh, I think I'd, we moved, you know, over 30 times within wow. six years. Wow. Always within a couple cities, but there was a lot of school switching. And oh, my gosh. That's so hard for a kid. Yeah. Now I look back and, like, I, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, you look at it now. Yeah, what 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 do you think of it now? I look back on it now, and uh, yeah, you need some stability. You know, you need some support and and some hard boundaries. And uh, I think it was my mom never knew how to do that. Yeah, because she did. She probably didn't have that herself. Yeah. Wow. So you're in and out with grandma. Mm-hmm. Um, you you said eleven, twelve. Yep. So what 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 does high school look like? Um. Middle school year, I get done with, I think I get done with eighth grade. And while all this stuff's going on, my mom's version of like imposing consequences would be, you know, there'd be times where she would like try to spank me, but I'm older. And there there was some, a little bit of domestic violence going on. Yeah. And so I'm getting older. I'm growing up a little bit. There was a time, I forget what I had done, but my mom tried to, you know, she tried to slap me. And so I had uh, caught her hand. I was like, hey, you're not going to hit me anymore. Wow. And in that moment, uh, the look in my mom's eyes was like I had struck her. And she's like, that's it. You're going to go live with your father. I can't do anything with you. Hmm. And so when hmm. I turned 12 or 30, I think I was 12, my mom sent me to move down here to live with my dad. Yeah. And uh, I remember crying. And I was like, don't send me away. I don't want to leave all my friends and things like that. Yeah. Ah, uh, oh, That's so hard. That's so hard. So you get sent to live with your dad, mm-hmm. and you'd been going summers with your dad yeah. still. Yeah, I had been on and off coming down here. Okay. So how was that moving to live with your dad? Um, I didn't want to leave at first, so I think it created a lot of resentments. Yeah. In that meantime, my father had before I came up here, and a couple times I had come down here, I had come and spent the summer with my father, and he had got into a car accident and was in a coma for a long time, and so before I had moved down here permanently, he, my mom had come down here, he got in a coma, I went back there, so I wasn't sure what it was gonna be like to move in with my dad. Yeah. If he had fully recovered. Oh man, he yeah. For three months. Jeez. Yeah, he did, and when I got down here, it was really, you know, I was on one part, like super excited to be around my dad. The other part of me didn't want to leave the friend group I finally started sure. to create. Sure, That in and out of my grandma's, I started having friendships. Um, came down with my dad, and like, the first thing I did, my, my father also smokes. Uh, he smokes, he uses marijuana, drinks beer, and things like that. So the first day that I got down here, I had, like, found my dad's weed and, and stole some of it. Hmm. And uh, my dad's response was, like, don't you steal my weed. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll share a little bit with you. And it's ridiculous now that I say it out loud. Yeah. But... My dad was always okay. He just kind of wanted to get on, go to work, get off work, come home, spend time, and he was okay with me doing whatever I kind of wanted to do, as long as he was able to to do what he wanted to do. He wasn't getting uh, calls from the school, things yeah. like that. And, hmm. uh, I also started building a relationship with my brother and sister. Mm-hmm. Uh, my brother had been kicked out when he was fourteen, and my sister had been kicked out by this time. At out of your dad's house. Yeah. So. By Th- the, so they're living. Yeah, my brother was like homeless at, time. at 14 and my sister had I think he was in DT hmm. and my sister had a an older boyfriend and so I would on occasion go to visit my sister who was living with her boyfriend they're involved in gangs and my brother was living there at the time they were hmm. all kind of involved in gangs and uh, 
yeah, I started building that relationship. They were already into using meth and things like that. So I never went down that path yet, but I would go to school, found the same kids to hang out with, doing the same things I like to do, and found spots where I could go. There, you know, kids would congregate in my middle school and high school. You could go spend all day every day there, and I could, would go home, tell my dad I was going out to hang, uh, stay at my girlfriend's house, and as long as I was going to stay at my girlfriend's house, uh, my dad was like, all right, you know, go to school. It's it's becoming pretty apparent I'm not doing what I'm supposed to in school at this point. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm stepping and sloughing, I'm getting in all kinds of trouble and things like that. Hmm. And uh, I get a girlfriend, I really like her. Um, I think I'm probably, yeah, there was a culture shock for sure, coming from rural Alaska to move in, you know, the East Bench, and then we it moved to West Valley. East Bench of Salt Lake? Yep. Okay. Yeah, I think I went to Albion Middle School. Okay, yeah. And spent one year there. Uh, I hated it because I didn't fit in at all. Huh. And then we moved to West Valley. So I think we moved to West Valley at 14. Yeah. yeah. So you found, you found a crowd that you felt, okay, yep. we, we have common interests and, yep. and that's not school. And that's these yeah. other, these other things. Yep. Right. So, uh, and then high school is kind of the same or what, what happens next? Uh, it keeps obviously getting worse from there. Yeah. Uh, I, finally start to get some friends that I'm not worried about moving away from. Mm-hmm. And I build this group of friends in West Valley that I'm hanging out with. We start to hang out at a party house. Um, I have a girlfriend that's like, I feel a pretty decent connection to, but I was probably just looking for that myself. Um, so we all would hang out there, spend time there. I'm experimenting with harder substances as time's going on. Um, I get to be, I think in, I was 15 and I first used, oh, I got my teeth taken out. I had some teeth taken out and prescribed pain pills. And hmm. got prescribed pain pills at 15. Hmm. And then... For like wisdom teeth? Yeah, my uh, wisdom teeth. Wow. Uh, or a couple back teeth or something. Mm-hmm. Like and, uh, you know, it quickly progressed after that. Uh, I had already been using psychedelics and just going a little more off the deep end with less regulation in my life. Hmm. Um, by 16, I had used heroin the first time. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So you're 16. You're already trying heroin. Yep. So do you start? What what, what happens next? Um, I'm spending time at my girlfriend's house, uh, dabbling a little bit with that. I used it the first time with my brother. Uh, he was my girlfriend's mom had let him move in there. So we continue to do that. And I start like stealing things from people. I'm, you know, lying to the one group of friends that I have now who you know, we're, weren't living the best lives, but they were definitely not using the hard stuff or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm lying to those guys and stealing and, you know, putting a wedge between the one group of friends I did have. And the whole time I'm, you know, I'm going, getting worse into crime and getting worse into doing all of that stuff. I end up breaking up with my girlfriend for obvious reasons. I'm stealing from her house, mm-hmm. all kinds of things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom... I kept a pretty honest uh, conversation going with her from Alaska. Mm-hmm. Would tell her a little bit of what's going on, but wouldn't really go all into it. So yeah, she's a little bit aware of it. Trying to make my dad aware of it, and when he would ask me about it, I could lie, and my dad would believe me. Yeah. So I took advantage of all that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I continue doing the same thing for the next few years. Break up with my girlfriend. I think I get to be about eighteen, and I start getting in trouble with the law, like in a serious way. Yeah, by the time I was 18, I think 
I'm selling drugs, I'm, I'm having guns and things like that. And I got arrested for my first serious crimes when I was, I think, 19 or 18. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 19. Uh, 19 on my birthday, actually. So I'm doing a bunch of dumb stuff. Me and a buddy of mine ended up getting arrested. I get found with a bunch of drugs and some guns and things like that. Hmm. I go to my first jail sentence and get out. You know, the my dad is finally starting to be aware of it and seeing what's going on. But I tell him I'm going to change, and he just gives me the benefit of the doubt. Sure. He wants to see good with me. Had had your dad experienced jail? Uh, no. this, this so you're you're kind of a first in the family yeah. going this route. At least this deep in this route of... Yeah, definitely. Uh, my dad was so oblivious. He was, like, almost naive. Hmm. Um, you know, yeah, he cared enough about me that I could take advantage of it. I could, I could tell him I wanted to change, and he would believe me. So, um, 18, 19, were you able to graduate high school? I did not. When okay. It, when it got to be junior year in high school, my dad sat me down and said, hey, if you're not going to go to school, you should drop out and get a job. And so I dropped out of high school. And got a job. Junior year. Did you get a job? Yeah. Okay. I got a job with my brother uh, buying delinquent storage units and selling it at the swap meet. Okay. You know, uh, but it was something. I yeah. mean, you got – okay. Yeah. Okay. It was enough to get my dad off my back at this Okay. Time. All right. So 19, big arrest. Yeah. What's – you yeah. go to jail? Yeah, go to jail. Spend a, a little bit of time in there. Go see the courts. They're pretty lenient on you. Your first charge. Um, I get out of jail. What's a, what's a little amount of time? Uh, like six days. Okay. Like okay. That. You go in there, you see the court, they give you a plea. Um, what I heard was I'm getting out of jail today if I take this deal. So I got out. Um, when I had gotten out, I got some money and did the exact same thing. And, you know, went and got some more drugs, went and got some more guns, and went to my father's house now because I couldn't be at my girlfriend's house where I'd gotten in trouble. And so I'm at my dad's house now. Doing the same thing. With drugs and guns. Yep. The dr- the guns are to protect you when you're dealing? Yeah, because I was getting robbed. And so, the, uh, you know, after you get robbed a couple times, like, okay, I'm not going to take this anymore. Looking back, would I have used a gun? Who knows? I'd probably hmm. not. I probably would have been too scared. Yeah. But in the moment, it gives you some semblance of a protecting sure. protection. Uh, well, you can do your business. Yeah. Because you're selling. Yeah. Okay. Too, out of my okay. Dad's window at his house. Yeah. And, and no, not paying attention to at all how it's affecting him not thinking about my mom who it's killing on the inside yeah the only relationship i've ever had i'm like you know all yeah. i think about is myself sure and the, and the next day yeah and i was still a kid you know yeah. i was making adult decisions but i had no thought process like where is this taking me? sure i was thinking about how i was having fun the next day yeah it hadn't got yeah me. no concept about what what am i building for a life ahead yeah never right thought about it. right uh people tried but i just wasn't in that headspace to think about it yeah um I end up getting uh, in trouble at my dad's house, and I ended up getting raided at my father's house with all the same stuff less than a month after the first time that I had gotten Wow. So they're knocking down the door, yeah. and you're at your dad's house, yeah. and he's like, what is yeah, going on? Uh, oh, my gosh. For me, yeah. He's doing all that stuff, and uh, I'm making all these decisions. Uh, there's a knock on the door. You know, I ask who it is. Somebody says it's your friend. I open the door, and the narcotics police come in there, and they find my safe, and they find all my stuff, and they take all my stuff, and they take me to jail. Well, I sit in jail for a few days. Um, first off, my father's like, I'm never coming to visit you. You know, he's he's done and over it. Yeah. Um, so I go to jail for a few days. I go to court, 
or actually I don't go to court, I get released on a fail to file. That uh, if you sit in jail for a little while, paper doesn't get filed, there's only a certain amount of time they can hold you without that. So I get out on a fail to file, uh, can't go back to my dad's, burn the bridges with my girlfriends. This is when I'm couch surfing and I don't got a place to go and I'm getting more brazen living in and out of my car. Hmm. Uh, this goes on for a little while and I go to, and, and none of this is enough to make me change what I got going on. Yeah. When I get out of jail, the first thought is, how am I getting money? I got to go back to doing what I'm doing. Yeah. And so, hmm. yeah, I get to, you know, and this whole time my mom's begging me to change some stuff. She's becoming, you know, my family's like starting to see it for the gravity it is. Yeah. Well, while I'm still trying to downplay it and lie. Yeah. Uh, let's see. I... Yeah, I go to jail. I get out on a failure to file. Okay. Um, I'm going to do a drug deal later at somebody's house a, a few days later. Mm -hmm. And I'm driving down the road, and I get uh, I get swarmed by the marshals. Oh, my gosh. Where did you get – so you, you get out on a failure to file. Yep. <clears throat> you don't have money. Nope. So you have your car. It's out in the parking lot? I mean, how's that even – you know what I mean? Yeah. You I have your car. I my car at my dad's house, yeah. Okay, so you go back to your dad's house, get your car. Mm -hmm. You don't have money. How do you go get drugs to then sell? How do you go get guns to then yeah. protect your, you know what I mean? Yeah. What, what, where does it come from? I didn't go get more guns. Uh -huh. I went and uh, had some friends. I had some things put aside. When you're living that type of lifestyle, you always like separate things. And have these Interesting. Going on. Huh. Because you know the cover, you know, the rug's going to get pulled out from you or out from under you at any point in time. So you, put, you stash some cash, you stash some drugs, just. Yeah. And then the. Uh, do the same thing, man. I'm doing the same thing. <clears throat> I'm going to meet a buddy of mine. Uh, I get swarmed by the marshals. And they say, hey, man, you got these charges. No, I don't. I just got out on a failure to file. And they said, yeah, you actually do have some charges. Uh, my charges had gotten picked up by the by the feds. And so I go to jail, and I'm sitting in there, and I'm like, okay, what's my bail? You know, how am I getting out of here? Yeah. Not understanding the gravity. Yeah. Before this time, six days, three days, I'm in and out. I'm starting to go, you know. Yeah. Never enough. And this time I'm sitting in there and there's no bail. And you're sitting hmm. in here and this time you're going to federal court and things. And, and I'm not understanding it for a while. And after a little bit, I start to realize, oh, man. I'm in trouble. Yeah, I made some, some real decisions here. Um, I start to, you know, at this point in time, I have no relationships really. My mom's still trying to support me. And I'm, of course, saying the same stuff I always did. Personally. Yeah. And I, go to, I start to go to court. I'm looking at uh, minimum five years uh, because of the firearm with the furtherance of drug trafficking. So I'm looking at five years. They're trying to get me to take eight years. Um, when the police had come to my father's house, they did not have a warrant. They did not have a warrant to open my safe or things like that. So I knew that the way that they had done some things was, was not the best way. Was I making horrible decisions? Heck yes. Yeah. Uh, they had also there was some things going on with that case. So the whole time I'm in there, I'm in jail for a year this time. Hmm. I turned 21 in jail. Wow. Um, so you're fighting this, knowing that they didn't, the due process wasn't followed, so yeah. you knew you had a chance to get off on that. I, I, I was thinking that. Yeah. Um, it's really hard to fight a federal case. Hmm. It almost never be something like that. And every All the advice I'm getting from jailhouse lawyers are, Hey man, take the deal. You know, this is what's going on. And in my head, I'm thinking, no. Uh, I fight it and fight it. Eventually, I go in there and they say, hey, 
if you don't take this eight years, we will supersede your indictment because you have another charge just like this priors, and you'll look at over 20 years. And so, wow, yeah. this has this seemed like this escalated quickly yeah, it, for you. It went zero to 100. Well, it was coming for a long time, it was a long time coming, but then all of a sudden, just yeah, it's yeah. it's on. It all happened really quickly. Wow, and uh, but I wish I had hey, this is enough, and I need to tone it down, but I didn't get it yet. I was still so oblivious uh, until mm. I was sitting in there with the Fed beef. Even then, uh, you know, I knew what was happening, and it's, it took a year to sit in there and for it to get real. Mm. But, yeah, it, I don't know how. I, it's amazing to me. <laughs> so you're in this spot where they're basically saying you, you need to plead guilty, take these eight years in prison, yeah. or we're really going to we're really going to nail you. Yeah, we're going to lay you down. And wow. And so uh, what what is your attorney saying? What what like is he saying, dude, you better take this or um, you know what I mean, what's going on yeah. that side? Yeah, when it got to where it's yeah, I, he was really supportive and was talking about we have chances and things like that. Um, when it got to where they you know, super, talking about superseding the indictment, uh, you know, the advice was, you know, this is your choice, kid. You know what do you have going on you can is there a chance yeah or do you want to risk it and uh, I went for the five and so I told him you know what I'm gonna take the five-year deal and so after fighting for a year it, 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 when I'm in jail I got long hair I'm a hippie kid skinny you know never did anything like that when I realized okay man I'm, I'm actually gonna go to federal prison right now you know I shave my hair I'm working out I'm good I know what's about to happen like you you got to beef up and get get ready for yeah. prison. I'm in this mindset where this is what's about to happen. Wow. Uh, I go through all that stuff. I go to court. I sign on the dotted line. They say, hey, do you take this deal? Do you, do you plead guilty to it? I'm like, yes. Yeah. So I go sign before the magistrate and, t- and sign for the deal. And the way the court process works is you take the deal. There's another court date set up for sentencing. Uh, after you get sentencing, plane. And you, and you ship out to wherever it is. Uh, uh, after I had signed the deal, I go back and like I remember the night of signing the deal, like sitting in my cell and thinking, "Okay, man, this is it." Because there's always this hope, maybe something will happen where it won't. That's that's the mind frame I was in at that time. <laughs> maybe something's gonna happen and I'm gonna get off like I always seem to get off. You know, wow. Like yeah. Uh, after you sign on the deal or on the line, yeah, that that was a rough night, man. Uh, yeah, I think that's the only time I ever, like, you know, thought about suicide or anything like that. Man. And I'm like, okay, am I ready for this? You're just devastated. You're like, this is, um, my life's over. Yeah, it was real. Reality hit. Um, within, you know, the next couple weeks, I'm sitting in jail watching the news, and I'm watching the news, and there is all of this, there's all of this stuff on the news about cases in West Valley being dropped because the police uh, had made some errors and there was some corruption in the narcotics department in West Valley Police. And so I'm watching all this stuff. Mind you, I've signed the deal already. Hope's gone. Like, I yeah. go. Um, I call my lawyer and uh, he's like, oh, did you, you didn't hear the good news. I'm like, what do you mean the good news? And they dropped like almost 100 cases out of West Valley, every case that had uh, some certain names on there because of the corruption. And my case ended up getting dropped because of that. Even after you signed it? Yeah, after. So if I had went to sentencing and been sentenced... It would have been done. It would have been done. Out like that. So it went from like one night, 
I'm about to go and this is done and like I don't want to do it wow. to the next day watching the news and finding out my case got dropped and I'm going to get out and man yeah it was a uh, quite a ride man so I if I were if I'm in your shoes I'm thinking man God's looking out for me yeah I'm not exactly I'm invincible I'm in, invincible like yeah a second chance in that I can live a better life or I've got a second chance to go do what I've been doing. What, what was your mindset? I was a hundred percent. I'm never, you know, I've, I've learned from this. I don't want to do this anymore. Yep. I was even in that mindset of like, gosh, when I go to prison, I want to like change for the better. And this hmm. is who I want to be at the same time, you know, abusing medications in jail and stuff, still thinking that, okay, I don't want to be the person I was, but you know, this little bit of stuff over here, I do. It's not, it, that doesn't matter. To yeah. Me. So I'm thinking second chance of life. I'm gonna go out and take over the world again, and I, I you know, I'm gonna get, a, I'm gonna get the opportunities to do this, and I get out of jail and I go see my dad and I talk to my mom and I see my friends that, you know, a few of them had gotten a little bit more on their p's and q's and and grown up than from the, what we were doing before, and so, you know, I'm talking to all these people and I spend a little bit of time. My first response after you know, I'm going to change my life is to go out and celebrate with my buddies. And I go out and I get smashed hmm. you know? and I went right. That was what I knew how to do. Yeah. I, I knew, I thought yeah. fun substance. I had never done anything other than this. I was eight. Uh, yeah. You know, I had every person in the world trying to teach me differently, but it just didn't click for me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I had no practice of it. Uh, yeah. I get out and I start going to celebrate and partying and I get a job, I'm working, partying, and then the partying becomes the priority. And I'm back in the mode. And it's less than four or five months since I get out of jail, and I'm back using heroin. Man. Because it's what you know. Yeah. It's what you know. Yep. And, uh, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that goes into changing people, you know, motivation and, and the things that are influencing you. And I did not, you know, I, I didn't have either one to the level I needed it to. Hmm. How old are you now? I'm 20. Let's see. 22. Hmm. I turn 21 in jail. Get out. I'm 22. Yep. I get out. I'm working, partying. I relapse. Uh, I'm going, doing the same stuff again. Mm-hmm. And uh, I never took it to the same level like I had when I was younger. But certain things got worse. I didn't, you know, I was aware of consequences from the law, so I didn't commit crimes to that level. But, like, as a person, I took it to another level of, like, just the, the isolation and the despair and the not having any relationships. The honesty I had with my mom was gone, and all that stuff was just long gone at this point. Hmm. I didn't have one relationship. I wasn't lying every word, hmm. you know. Uh, yeah, so I, I'm doing all that stuff at 22. I continue living in that same cycle, darker and darker, you know, stealing from all the people that I can call my friends. Uh, not really getting arrested because I became a better criminal when I went to jail. Mm. And uh, yeah, I do that. I do that till I turn about 24. I, I want to change again. Uh, my mom is in Alaska. She lets me move up there. I move up there with my mom to try and change my life. And, you know, I'm going to get clean. My response is going to be I'm going to move to a different place. Yeah. 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 I move there. Uh, I don't know anybody with drugs. Uh, I immediately become a raging alcoholic hmm. and, and start reaching out to the people that I knew who were doing the same kind of stuff I was doing, man. Hmm. And, uh, yeah, it's just, 
different place, same yeah. same lifestyle. Same thing. There wasn't any yeah. drugs there, so I could get this and I could be the same person. Yeah. Underneath all this, like I don't know how to be honest. I don't know how to work for the things I want to do. I do not care all about what other people have going on. Yeah. Uh, there'd be fading glimpses of it where I care about people and I wanted to do things that those thoughts would last and be enough time to feel bad for myself, and then it was gone. You know, very quickly. After yeah. That. So I do that. I spend seven, eight months in Alaska. Uh, drunk the whole time. Hmm. My mom called the police and stuff. Um, finally, I leave. I come back here and come back to, yeah, I come back to Utah. I'm, I'm here for a little while. My mom ends up uh, finding out she has a brain tumor. And so, Man. I, yeah, I think at this point I had, my dad gave me a second chance to move back in. Uh, wasn't using the hard drugs, but was drinking alcohol. He also does that, and that's normal in our family. That's not viewed the same way as hard drugs. My mom finds out she has a brain tumor. She moves to uh, uh, Utah because there's medical, better services and things. She's trying to build a relationship. She's trying to save me still. Uh, yeah, she goes, she comes down here and ends up going and getting brain tumor surgery. The whole time I'm staying at my dad's house, he thinks I'm not using. I relapse like the week I get back here. Yeah. Uh, all that stuff's happening, and my mom gets her brain tumor surgery done, comes back out. She's all messed up, had, had a stroke on the hospital bed, uh. Uh, and is, can't walk. Uh, she, she's all out of it. They, they put her in uh, a retirement home where she's supposed to be getting taken care of. All the time I'm talking to her, and she's, like, alone, and hmm. she's not getting taken care of the right way still doing the same stuff hmm. so all these people i'm seeing people that i do have some part of caring uh, their lives are going down and their lives are going down and i my life's you know i'm in that headspace now of wanting to change since i went to alaska you when you're stuck in addiction you wake up you, there's no thought except for get money get get high and then by the time you do that and night comes you go to bed feeling bad about what you did, hmm. feeling remorseful, you know, wanting to change. And you go to bed that night, tomorrow's the day, man. I'm changing everything up tomorrow. When hmm. I wake up, this is it. And hmm. if you really sincerely feel that and believe that yeah. that night, when you wake up the next day, it is gone. And I need to get money and hmm. do this. And you do it uh, for, uh, for a while. I did it for the next year or two. Uh, As your mom was in this care facility. Yep. Okay. She, she ends up getting a little bit better, uh, getting a place. Uh, she has a good friend from church who's letting her live there. Is a, is a really awesome guy, man. Uh, I burned the bridge at my dad's house, move in with him. I'm probably 25. Um, I kept trying to get clean and sober and would try to do it and fail and try to do it and fail. And that, like, beats you down. It makes it, it gets you to a point where you don't believe it's possible. Yeah. You lose the belief that yeah. you can change. I don't have insurance. There's no, there's no way for me to go get help or services. I don't, you know, I'm a poor kid from a trailer park. And they said, like, you just don't know what you don't know. You don't mm. know there's places out there that can help you. Mm. And I'm in this cycle going through it and going through it. My mom and that guy let me move in there. I'm living with them. And finally it got so bad when they're, you know, they it was very apparent who I was at this point in time. Yeah. So there's no lying anymore. There's no making these people believe something's happening. It's not. And they put the put the law down. So you're not going to live here if you're going to kill yourself, man. And you got to move out. And by some happenstance, a 
cousin of my dad had been to the academy. And I'm calling everywhere to try and get some help somewhere. I'm calling. To figure out where you're going to live and how to rectify your life. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. These places. I want to change my life. No, I can't do it alone. And I also can't get any help. That's where it's at. And uh, I'm calling and calling. There's nowhere. You know, I call all the places around here. Yeah. My dad's cousin, who, like, second cousin, guy I've never even met, uh, says there's this place you can go that's free, but you'll never do it. There's no way you'll do it. I'm like, what do you mean? He said, it's two years. And I'm like, oh, never mind. You want to you wanna do the hardest thing known to man, like reinvent everything about yourself, but you want it the easy way. You don't want to spend t- two years doing it. Yeah, no way. Yeah. I want to change my life. Yeah. You say that out loud and you think about how it doesn't make sense. Yeah. That's where you're at. I'm, no, mm-hmm. uh, I want to change really bad and look for something else. Yeah. My mom goes to the thrift store and meets somebody there who tells her about it. And she listens to these people talk. At the other side thrift store? The other side thrift store. Wow. Because my dad told my mom, there's this place. Yeah. And my mom's looking into it. Because she's doing all the hard work I'm too lazy to do for myself. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying. But my mom's in there. She was, she was trying to help me. She goes there. And listen, to, yeah, she goes there and listen to people talk from the academy. And I'm getting emotional about it. Yeah, she goes there and mm. listens to them talk and uh, comes back. And I was like, you need to go to this mm. place. And I'm like, no, dude, no way. Mm. But your mom. Yeah. Your mom's your mom's still looking. Your, your mom, yeah. who was raising you by herself, mm-hmm. is still battling for you. Man, that brings me to tears, too, man. That's mother's love, man. Yeah. Yeah, she, special uh, thing. She taught me compassion in spite of all yeah. this stuff she fought for. She yeah. taught me how to love and yeah. give and care for people. Yeah. My dad, too. You know, I had yeah. this view on him when I was young. Mm-hmm. Now that I grew up, I'm like, dang, dude, I was an a-hole. I knew that I made some mistakes when I was young. Yeah. I, I didn't get the best start. Yeah. When I got older, I knew right from wrong. Yeah. And I chose to do what I was doing. Yeah. yeah so my mom goes and talks to the academy. <laughs> they tell her what's up. And uh, she's like, you got to go. I look it up. When I look up the academy, it's like a very, and when I went, 2018, like pretty, pretty minimal website, you know, you can write a letter from jail. Mm-hmm. You can come sit on the bench. I'm picturing like a bench where buses come pick you up from. And like, I'm also thinking I'm going to like play tennis in a rehab because that's all I know about rehab. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So lucky I didn't know because I would not have went. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. You come sit on the bench or go in there. So I, I'm planning to go check in this place. Really, I don't think that I was planning on staying. I think... You're going to go check it out. I was going to go, and this is all in hindsight. I was going to go and act like I wanted to change because I wanted to feel like I wanted to change. Mm-hmm. I did want to change, but I didn't want to work for it then. Sure. And so I'm getting ready to go in there. Uh, I go get bunch of suboxin and things because i'm still mid using i have a severe habit at all this point in time mm-hmm. you cannot go there if you're going to be detoxing if you're yeah. substance or anything i go get all this suboxin and all this stuff and i go sit down thinking it's going to be like a an interview and i kind of talk to these people and they get back to me in a couple weeks and stuff it's not like that at all i sneak suboxin into my interview with the academy and because I had done that every other place I went. I went to like a detoxes and stuff like that. And I never, I went to a place to try to get clean and I took drugs with me every time. Oh. And because uh, I wanted the easy way. Hmm. And, and I thought my mind frame was if I can quit using heroin for two weeks, I'm okay. This is the only thing I have to change. This is my obstacle. Yeah. I'm not seeing like 
when I didn't use heroin, I was a drunk. When I didn't, you know, I've never hmm. had discipline. I, I didn't know that yet. So I get ready. I go to the interview. I sit down. I do an interview. It's with a woman named Lola Strong. Uh-huh. And she is awesome. <laughs> and they made me rap. She was like, what do you want to do to change your life? And I don't show much emotion. I've yeah. not heard that often. Uh, she's like, yeah, you don't seem like you, you desperately want to change. And they were right. She's like, what, do you, what will you do to change? Like, I'll do anything. She's like, then rap. Not missing a beat, anything, just like that. She's like, excuse me? She's like, then rap. You say you'll do anything to change. Rap for me. I'm like, really? I don't know how to rap. She's like, then dance. I'm like, are you serious? And it was good. What she was saying to me in that moment is like, I want to see how bad you're going to fight for this. I, she saw hmm. that I wanted it, but I didn't really want it. If she could see all that, man, like, hmm. I didn't know. Uh, so I do the interview. I spit, I, I'm like, okay, I'll rap. I don't know how to dance. Mm-hmm. I do a little dinky rap for them. And <coughs> she just could see. She was she was testing me to see what I was about. And uh, it was smart. Smart in ways that like I only see now. So I rap and they accept me on the spot. Hmm. And they say, all right, I'm going to give you a shot. You know, the... the after they made me rap, they told me I didn't want to. I went back and sat on the bench. And I came back in. I told them, I was like, hey, I'm sitting here because I want it. I know you want me to get emotional and yell and things like that. I'm not going to do that. That's not really who I am. But I'm sitting here and I'm telling you I want it. And she gave me a chance, man. Uh, yeah, they accepted me. I started off my state the academy. I got it. I brought my suboxone in there and mm. snuck and lied to everybody about it. And, yeah. And thought I was going to use it to detox and... While I'm at the academy, uh, the first, I have a severe heroin habit. I take this box in for the first couple of days thinking it's going to help me. It d- didn't, well, <laughs> not when you have a severe habit like that. I take it in the first couple of days, use the box in the house of the academy. A bunch of people trying to change their lives. It's like a sacred place. I see it like that now. Mm. I didn't then. Some friends helped me learn that. Uh, yeah, I take it. And then I start to be sick from my heroin habit. And so I'm sick. I'm not feeling good for about three weeks at the academy and they pull me in there you, you cannot do that it's not safe you, it's not a good foundation um i downplay it i tell them in the interview that i've been taking suboxone for a little while and i might feel not a little bit i might feel a little bad but i'll be okay and stuff like that. really i had a full-blown habit uh so i'm sick for about three weeks at the academy i don't sleep for three weeks 20 days i'm i'm getting feedback from my peers about in the shower all day every day or all night long and stuff uh, they assigned me a mentor when I got there, and that guy saved me too. Cause the only thing that got me from those, like, yeah, for those first like month that I was there, was the same thing that got my mom when she went to the thrift store. Like, never in my life had I seen somebody walk the path I had walked, and when I looked him in the eyes and talked to him, they could tell me I did what you did, and I don't do what you do now, and this is what I did, and I had that there. I couldn't detox on the street with every amenity and everything and all the freedom and anything at all it was impossible i could never make it over three days and when i went to the academy i made it man I wow at the academy and i was sick wow and you uh but you had you had people there to that uh, knew what you were going through and to help you through it yeah there was a friend <clears throat> they're like look man you can be honest about some stuff i told them i was sick from suboxone uh so when i'm talking to the the guy i have a mentor and he comes and finds me every day and he's my, I just was spent time with him before I came in here right mm. now today. So this day he's one of my best friends. Probably my yeah. best friend. Uh, yeah, he's finding me every day. Every day all we talk about it, he said, what's going on with you? I said, my back hurts and I haven't slept in 20 days. I'm tired now. And uh, I'm leaving tomorrow for sure. 
And I kept telling them, I'm out of here. I'm out of here tomorrow. I'm out of here. But when I talked to these people, and I saw what they were about, and never had I seen somebody who had done what I was trying to do, and this whole place is full of them, mm -hmm. they're real. Now, they're yelling at me all the time because I'm, yeah. I'm knucklehead. Right? Yeah. I have been nothing but doing all that. I'm getting in all kinds of trouble and stuff. And, and uh, yeah, but at the same time, I'm seeing this stuff in these people I want. And this guy, who was my mentor, I saw the light in his eyes. And when he talked to me, I knew he, I could see the sincerity. And, uh, yeah, he made me super hopeful. Hmm. He said, maybe I can do this. Hmm. I am actually a few weeks clean, and I've never done that before until I changed states. Uh, and so, wow. wait, I finally get detoxed, and I'm feeling good about myself. Okay, man, I'm here. I'm still getting in all the trouble you get in when you go there. You're still doing all the stuff you're supposed to do. Uh, but I'm clean and sober. I'm on top of the world, man. And I think I'm good. I think that's all you need to do. I'm good. I'm going to build my new life. Well, I witnessed something at the academy about a month in that somebody had went. Are you familiar with the game? Uh-huh. Yeah. So some guy's in the game. He's done something. The house is telling him he's done it. He lies right to their face. And he gets away with it because they can't prove it. And he gets away with it and he walks out of the game. And it, it didn't seem like any game to me, like any big deal. A uh, couple weeks later, I go back to the game and I'm in there with the same guy. This is a freshman peer, mind you. Somebody that's been there a couple weeks before me. And this guy goes and holds himself accountable to something he had gotten away with. And that was foreign language. To yeah. Me. He's like, I lied. Yeah. And I'm, I'm coming clean now. He didn't get caught. He didn't get busted. Yeah. He sat in a room, and I knew he was about to get yelled at. I knew he was going to get consequences. This guy's going to have to do hours. Yeah. And he came in there. He's like, hey, I did this. And I did not get that, man. And I watched it, and, like, something clicked in that moment. Hmm. Thought, okay, man, this is what they're talking I still thought, but he's told on himself what an idiot. Uh, I, I go talk to some people about it. I'm asking about this stuff now. Hmm. It's, it's on my mind. You're like, why on earth would yeah, he just, what, what an idiot. He was off scot free. The power of that example is crazy. Yeah, from somebody who's next to me. Not been here a year. I, those mm -hmm. guys who've been there for a year, six months, two years, we're still like robots. Uh, he holds himself accountable. I talked to my mentor about it. He explained that he's got an experience with that. Hey, man, this is what I had done when I was new in this house, and this is what I did, and that's really what changed my life. Well, I'm poking around with the academy. I'm asking everybody, so, and it's a common thread. Well, hey, what happened for you, man? What was it? What did it for you? And like, I did some stuff. Nobody knew. And I, I owned it. Myself wow. And I'm like, oh, man. And it starts to click for me. I'm like, okay, this is like the recipe for the new life thing. But I brought this a box in and they came yeah. with me, man. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. Uh, I realize I've already burned myself. I'm trying to build this new life foundation of lies i gotta hold myself accountable i'm gonna get kicked out cardinal rule you can't bring substances in there you use anything like that cardinal rule you're done you're out uh, and i think about it for a month it takes me a month i finally realize i'm either this isn't going to work first off because I, now i feel bad first time hmm. for, for in a long time i feel bad for this thing i did that i didn't it was nothing to me at the time uh, I know I need to hold myself accountable if I want this new life. I'm also thinking, like, I can't, man. If you hold yourself accountable to this new life, you're going to be kicked out. So I try to fake it till I made it to the fucking new week. Ah, man. Uh, what a dilemma. Yeah. I'm going to talk to my mentor. I said, hey, man, I got to talk to you. 
He's like, what's up? I was like, I need to clean up. I know what it is now. He's like, what do you need to clean up on? And I'm scared now. I'm like shaking in my voice. And I tell him what happened. And <laughs> he's been there a year at the time. And like, and now I know that that was not a thing at that point in time. I don't think anybody had ever done anything like that. This was like a new thing. Uh, maybe this has happened before, but I'm pretty sure it seemed pretty new to me. Uh, he's like, we're going to go find staff. And we went and found the staff member there. And he's like, hey, I, I need to clean up with you. And people clean up all the time there. That's what happens there. But not this. Not this. Yeah. And uh, so I did go say, hey, I need to clean up with you. He's like, all right, man, we can talk on break. You know, when, when break comes, comes and find me. I'm like, no, man, I got to talk to you, man. And so I tell him what's up. Uh, I have this long conversation with the staff. And he's like, why? What's going on? What happened? You know, and he's, he's poking. And they go in a room. And they start talking about me. I'm sitting on the bench. Because you just came clean. Yeah. And, I, and, and I, they're like, we need to, we're going to have to go into a separate room yeah, for this one. They go and discuss what are we going to do. Wow. Yeah, I think up until that point, use a substance was kicked out. I don't yeah. know. Uh, yeah, I could be mistaken, but that's what it was in my head. Uh, they go out in a room and they come out and they say, hey, man, is, our, is what you're saying is true? Everything's true. And I told them the truth. Uh, I said, all right, this is what we're going to do. And we're going to walk outside right now. You and I are going to walk out to the curb. And it, like in that moment, I'm like, okay, that's it. I'm out. Yeah. And he said, and then we're going to stand on the curb and we're going to walk back in and sit you down again. And we're going to give you another interview. And we're going to see what you're going to do. And you're probably going to have to do a contract if you get accepted from this interview. I sit on the bench. I walk outside and I have a conversation. I'm talking to these people. And like, it's, it was just different interactions. I, I was talking to somebody who's an honest man, first time in a long time. They bring me back in, they accept me. I get accepted, I do my 30-day contract, and I restart. Two months I had done before that, don't start. They gave me a second chance, man. Uh, mm. Yeah. Mm. I definitely didn't have that coming after mm. everything. They gave me a second chance at a second chance. Mm. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, what, did, what, did, what did that teach you? Oh, man. taught me that I think it's compounded the lesson of that people are never too lost to change <laughs> that uh, yeah you can be pretty lost man and you can be by, it, there was no reason to I sat on the page <laughs> and stuff and, yeah, and they were <laughs> compassionate towards me yeah. they gave me my second chance and, and <laughs> I uh, contract you wake up at 6 in the morning you work you go to bed at 10 work all day yellow shirt you're not speaking to people a contract is in the real world it severe offenses you're in prison at the academy uh, you've done something pretty significant man you're gonna sit in this and you're gonna earn your right to be back in this house mm. because your behavior up until this point has showed us that you don't really believe like we believe man mm. that's dangerous to everybody so I do my contract for 30 days and I wake up and I go to work and I get done and I you can't talk to people. You can't as a mind. I'm talking to my mentor. I'm talking to these people. And people were mad. People were mad at me. Yeah. Rightfully so. Uh, hmm. I am tired. <laughs> I am tired by the end of the day. I'm getting off work, you know, 6 in the morning, 10 at night. You're a little sure you're not talking to people until breaks. And people come check on you and support you. But it doesn't, you feel so ostracized. You are. You, you're paying some, some consequences. Uh, for the first time ever, I'm tired when I get to bed. I'm like beat. I feel good. Hmm. Physically, I'm tired. Mentally, 
I'm feeling good. I'm getting like energized. I'm You're clean. You're a little momentum going and stuff. Your mental state is clean. Yeah, I was like a week out. I remember that I've been mm. here about a week, man, and I did it right. I said I saw what was supposed to happen and told the truth, and I got to state and I did my contract. And I did my contract. Went to my state, the academy. Um, did everything that you know. There's you could not sit and talk about all the epiphany moments you have at the academy. Hmm. Always think this is the thing I needed to figure out to get my life to figure it out, and then there's just always some deeper level, some other stage of learning and then eventually it's not about you it's about helping other people and you figure out it's about service and you're happiest when you put other people's what you like other people's desires over your desires hmm. you feel good about that you really want to be happy make somebody else happy man and you figure that out there man it's crazy uh wow and i got to stay there for a couple of years i got to be a good mentor to people i got decent friendships there's still times where I would make decisions in the moment. Uh, sometimes I would think about it and minimize it and rationalize it. Some because one cleanup is not enough to change somebody's life. Hmm. Most of the time, who I, when I made mistakes, people weren't in the room with me. That's just who I was. That's what yeah. I was used to doing. Uh, you learn a conscience, and you learn how to, you know, do that. You, know, you learn how to continue that. You learn how to keep that muscle strong. And before you know it, you learn how to care about things more than some people around you. And all of a sudden, now I feel bad about stuff that this guy maybe doesn't think I should feel bad about it for. What do I care more about? No, I like how I feel. Mm. I hold my standard where, where my conscience says it needs to be. You learn all that. Get to be a tribe leader. Get to be a tribe leader. Serve, you know, help other people. Comes time, two years is done. Two years when you first get there, impossible sounding. Like, not you can't even think about it. You yeah. Know, there's no way. Uh, you get up to that time and you realize, man, I freaking like who I am today. Hmm. I like what I got going on. I like when my mom comes to visit and I get to hold her. Hmm. You, you get to hug your mom at the academy after some stuff like that. Yeah. 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 Your first visit, one year, your family gets to come see you, and you get to go up to the people. You treated them like that, and you think, like, you picture all this stuff. I'm going to say sorry for this, and I'm going to say sorry for that. Like you, you listen to some people. You, Dave will give you the advice, man. What does sorry ever meant? Like, what did you ever? What does that meant ever? Yeah. It was lip, lip service. Well, this time I was proven. And uh, yeah, I got to see my mom in a year. I got to hug her and and have my friends as my strengths. And I got to do it a couple more times. I got to see my dad cry hmm. and, uh, when he came to see me. Just proud, mm -hmm. proud of the changes. Yeah, for good, for good. You get to come hmm. back to life, and it's just. Uh, the friends, the relationships, the way you feel about yourself, your work ethics, just amazing after all that stuff. It is, if you have the right, like, motivation behind doing something, like, everything else is, is easy. Uh, and you get to realize that sometimes stuff that's easy isn't easy for you all the time. The, uh, your emotions can, can, you're having a bad day, you're going to see all the negative and everything. What do you do? Are you going to make a response like you always made? No. You're probably going to go sit down and talk to somebody. You've bared those burdens by yourself a long time. How's it work for you? I'm having a bad day. I can't explain to you why. And somebody cares. Oh, I don't have to explain why I feel bad. I can just talk to somebody who cares about how I feel. Hmm. And it goes away. Yeah. It's the best tool you got there. Hmm. Other people. Yeah. And, and having that community. Yeah, still to this day. You have a bad day. People trade, like, the appearance, like, everything's perfect for, like, really, like, being hurting on the inside. Yeah. At the Academy, and this is just my interpretation, man, at the Academy, I learned to be okay with everything not seeming perfect all the time. Yeah. So when you shine the light on it, you can improve and grow and change that stuff. 
And then if you work hard enough at it, it actually does feel pretty perfect most of the time. Hmm. It's not life. There's a lot of stuff that comes up. But when stuff comes up, you know how to work a little, you know, just model it up. Wow. So, so tell me where you are now. Ah. I mean, tell me, I mean, you know, every time you've talked about your mom, mm-hmm. there's been the emotion comes right to your eyes and I, and I, it hits me, it hits me too, man. There's yeah. something special, but tell me about your relationship with your mom now. Oh man, my relationship is good. Uh, my mom, we talk on the phone all the time. Mm-hmm. I work at the village now. Okay. Uh, I stayed my four years at the academy. Mm-hmm. Every day got better. Mm. Uh, when it got done, I, I wanted to experience what it was like to experience a little bit of life. Got the opportunity to help some people that you don't really get to yeah. the academy. You have to turn people away there in certain interviews. There's there's a place that's going to give what we got to the people I had to say no to in an interview. Decent. I got an opportunity to do that. Amazing. And I, my mom's going to, I'm going to get her a ticket and she's going to come spend Christmas with us at the at, at my house and stay for a couple of days in my extra room and I'm going to show her a good time. Wow. Yeah. And so we, you know, I talked to her a lot. I talked to her a lot. It's going good. My mom's, my mom's done a lot of growing as a person in the last little while too. Uh, she's hurt and she's getting more positive and more empowered, more accountable for her things. Yeah. And I used to support her. My relationship in the last week, I've got to, you know, at 10 o'clock at night when I'm in bed at 10, I would do the same mutual, same thing all the time every day. 10 That's o'clock. a uh, 10 o'clock. I'm out. Lights are out. Yeah. I'm the same way. Wake up. Yeah, I do the same thing. Uh, in the last week, my best friend, who was living the lifestyle with me before and got his stuff together. My father and my mom called me at 10 o'clock at night to say, hey man, I am I have some hard things going on in my life right now. I'm feeling down, this is what's up, and I miss you and I just wanna to talk to you. And my life is like that now. Hmm. And I do, my relationships are like that. Hmm. And I only keep relationships with people like that. And hmm. it feels good, man. man. And I get to play a part in like helping people figure hmm. out themselves, and it feels good. Man, just authentic true relationships of honesty and integrity yeah support me my father i would never imagine him doing something like that and, and we got it like that now hmm. and my mom like needing some help and being going through some stuff and i can give her good advice hmm. or i can just listen and she doesn't need but you can be there for her you're in a spot where you can yep and it feels good man and wow that's <laughs> so robbie what would you say like what's what's a takeaway what are a couple takeaways like Maybe you could have told yourself when you were younger. Well, what could you tell your? What could you tell somebody else that's in the low spot that you were in? You know what I mean? What? what give me two takeaways for for people who are listening. Mm-hmm. So a couple things to somebody who was in the spot that I was in that needs to that wants to change. Yeah, or just you know things you wish you would have known. I mean, just just a couple things that you've learned that are just you know what I mean. That the things that you. You'd like to let other people mm-hmm. really, you wish other people would really yeah. understand. Yeah. Um, I think the first thing, there's no way around it, is that uh, when you take complete ownership of the things that happen in your life, um, changes happen. If, if you wait for other, if other people are always the, the reasons you do what you do, uh, you can't change other people, man. Um, you have to be the one who realizes I did this and I'm the one in charge of this and if you make up your mind to make a change in your life nobody's going to stop that except for you quitting trying Hmm. if you decide I'm going to do this uh, 
you can do it as long as you are willing to work for it. And it will be work now. Mm. Everything worth something good is, is hard work. And mm. um, the second one I would say is a, it's an accountability piece and mandatory. Um, I'd say the second one is, you know, life is about relationships and it's quality over quantity. And find somebody you can be 100% real with more if you can and be honest about everything that ever happens to you and don't be ashamed when you yeah. want to talk to somebody don't think you need to have, yeah. to have a good reason to talk to somebody when you're feeling down and mm. you can be sad because you're sad and yeah you have people in your life that care about you they, they will care they don't care about yeah. why you're sad doesn't make sense They'll okay hey man i know you and i care about you and the fact that i know mm. you're sad i know how it feels to be sad and maybe after they talk to you, they might tell you some stuff you can do to help it. You might not like it, and that's okay. But that goes back to number one: ownership. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, people, supportive, uh, brutal honesty, uh, and compassion goes a long way. Yeah. You know, find somebody and talk about everything with some people that you trust and you like the way that they live. Yeah. And then sit alone with yourself for a little while and make a decision. Hmm. Man. I can't believe I cried here. I never cried. <laughs> Man, well, you got me going too. I just, I think the, uh, you know, I'm so grateful you take the time to come share your story and, and just, uh, it's really impactful. And I don't, you might not, you might not know the impact and the waves of this story to, to somebody who's going to listen to this and hear and, and maybe have hope that things could change and, and I think those two things you just said at the end of just uh, complete ownership that really hits me. Like I've got to, I've got to own my stuff, and and then I I love what you just said about the relationships, and I I couldn't agree more. And I'm really grateful, man. Is there is there anything else you'd like to impart? Uh, anything else you'd like to share for somebody who might be listening to this? That as we close this out, you know, first uh, it was definitely awesome to come in here. Um, yeah, it feels good to be able to do something like this and like I can see sincerity in your eyes and uh, it, it feels good to talk about things like this so people that I can tell care about things yeah. like this. And, uh, Thank you. It's awesome that you put some effort into doing that as well. Thank you. Uh, yeah. I guess the last thing I would say to somebody is when I used to hear stuff like this and it was vague concepts, it was hard for me to think about how to implement it. And I would say, if you're in a dark spot in life and you need to make some changes, sit down. A uh, goal without a plan is just a dream. Put pen to paper. Realize you're going to be weak sometimes. Decide what you're going to do. Specifics. And get somebody you trust and have them hold you accountable to it. Hmm. Don't go into something without a clear roadmap forward. Plan, hmm. for your, plan for your moments of weakness. Plan for the things that would bring you down decide your trajectory in life and and go about your days and your decisions in the direction that you want to go intentionally hmm. it's uh yeah, there's, i always try to think what's the one thing that would really help somebody yeah. to change their life and there's too much to do man but set yourself up for success yeah but that's those are those are three really really very big guidelines i think of of ownership of positive relationships and then actually setting a plan that you can, yeah. I think you nailed it. <laughs> so yeah. Well, 
Robbie, I'm really, really grateful again. And thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, it was awesome. Hey everybody, welcome to the Suit for Good podcast. Today I have a an awesome guest, uh, Robbie Murick. And as you'll uh, as you'll notice in this interview, he's man, he's he's got a, a an amazing story to tell as well. And I I uh, I was I was uh, definitely affected by the love he has for his mom and his mom to him and uh, all that he's been through. I loved the uh, the takeaways he gave me at the end there. Of uh, he said that uh, ownership of our our lives is 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 uh, one of the most important things he he's come away with that we have to own our own decisions. And he also said uh, taking uh, creating meaningful relationships with people you can trust. And then I also loved his third takeaway was it was uh, creating a a, a roadmap for success he you know he said if, if it's not written it's just a dream and uh, if you're trying to make big changes in your life to actually set a goal write it down and write down how you view the path of getting there and then sticking to that um, but there were so many good good things about this interview and he's an incredible human being and doing some amazing things now with the other side village helping uh, people who are experiencing chronic homelessness uh, so just amazing things that, uh, yeah, I'm excited for you to hear this interview. So yeah, without further ado, here you go. Robbie Murick. <laughs> 